Welcome to the Data Democracy. Presented by renowned O'Reilly author Ole Olsen Banyut. And powered by Xenia. Make your data accessible and discoverable by anyone, anywhere, at any time. Hi everybody, you're listening to The Data Democracy and I'm your host, Ole Olesen Benjer, Chief Evangelist in Sinea and the author of the Enterprise Data Catalog published by O'Reilly. In this podcast, we explore what a data democracy is with knowledgeable guests. Today's guest is Jesse Anderson. Jesse is an esteemed big data expert and has provided guidance for 50% of Fortune 100 companies. I taught big data at the University of Copenhagen 10 years ago, and at that time, I had not talked to any data, big data practitioner. It was pure theory. So I'm super curious to learn from Jesse and hear about his experience with big data, how it emerged, evolved, and what the status of big data is today. Finally, Jesse is the author of several books of which I have read data teams that I can recommend to you uh, to take a look at. It captures the organizational side of big data perfectly. And as everything in data, the organizational aspect is often poorly understood and even worse managed. So my takeaways is the first of all, the data leader takeaway. The better a company says they are at data, the worse they normally are. So be humble about what you have achieved with data as a data leader. And second, a data democracy takeaway. If uh, the free data teams that Jesse promotes is not present in your organization, you will not be able to democratize data. And finally, third personal takeaway, I will stop saying things in data are dead. Nothing really dies in data. It's the terminology that dies. Big data didn't die. The term perhaps did, as the hype flattened, but the methodology and the capability certainly didn't. Okay, enough of me ranting. Let's hear what Jesse has to say. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Oli. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure having you. Uh, so, Jesse, for the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do right now in, in your career and what you have done previously? Sure. So now I'm the managing director at Big Data Institute. We work with companies around the world on big data. And this is, I've been doing this for the past nine years now, which is after I left Cloud Era. But what we do is, I, I think, a different take on what big data is, where most people are thinking it's a technical change. It is a technical change, yes. But I go about it with technical and organizational, because I found that organizational was just as key being successful with data. Uh, previous to that, I was at Cloudera. I was an early employee at Cloudera. There, I did a lot of teaching, conference speaking, had a lot of fun, learned a lot of things. Before that, I was a software engineer at Stamp Coder. So I got to learn the ins and outs of distributed systems, of client server machines. So uh, I always had an interest in data. And this the big data gave me this confluence of my data skills, plus my programming skills, plus this curiosity and learning more. So I was able to really parlay that into what I am. 
That sounds like uh, quite a, a fantastic uh, career you've had. As I mentioned in the introduction uh, prior to our conversation for the listeners, I have been teaching uh, big data at the University of Copenhagen. So yeah, I'm super curious to know more about the actual realities of, of big data in, uh, in companies. From, from your website, you state that you have uh, consulted, provided consulting services to like 50% of Fortune 100 companies, which is a, a very, very impressive uh, figure. How good are companies at big data? What's your work experience? Uh, what does it tell you? My experience is that it's, it's kind of an inverse, where the, the better a company says that they're at data, the inverse of that, the worse they are, where they are either such a disconnect at the executive level or... Uh, if you were to quote Shakespeare, they doth to protest too much, where the people who have to really say how incredible they are, uh, where I think the companies that do better at data, they actually have realized that there's a, the more you know, or the more you see, the, the further you see that you need to learn or improve. So there's this constant improvement, more, much more cyclical rather than these stair steps. Uh, a step function is, is what you call it. So yeah, as you look at the Fortune 100 especially, what, what often happens is that they're hamstrung by internal politics, by how they work internally, that there's 50 years or there's 100 years or more of sort of problems that are built up. And they're thinking, we put this Hadoop in, we put this spark in and we solve that. And that isn't the case. No, no, exactly. It's it's a question of believing that technology will fix somehow fix uh, problems themselves itself, right? Uh, I guess maybe it's best just to jump directly into uh, the book that that I have uh, read, and uh, for the listeners or for the viewers mainly, I will just show it here. Uh, Data Teams, your book, published by uh, Apris. I I have read it with quite a lot of interest and so so let's discuss it uh, you recommend not one data team but three data teams in in your book what are these data teams and why do you recommend three so the three teams are data science data engineering and operations and so together depending on how you mix them it may be these th more like groups they may be three different groups of people that all form a data team or form parts of a data team. And that's a key part that we're kind of seeing with data mesh and these other things, Spotify models. How do we bring these people together? But at its core, what we need is three different types of people where each one of those people brings a particular specialty to the, to the group or to what, what needs to happen. So I'll start with data science since that's the most common one people know the most. And the issue with data science is data scientists know a very particular part of this equation. So they usually have math backgrounds, sometimes physics backgrounds. I talk about it in the book, the various backgrounds that they have. But the issue is that they've learned how to program out of necessity. So they have pretty basic programming skills. And so what companies will often do is they'll think, oh, we just need a data scientist and they can do everything. And so the data scientist will create this system that is a data scientist system. It works the math, but engineering wise, it's absolutely crap. 
And that's what we're trying to uh, not have is the data scientists can do this one part. They can do the advanced analytics. They can do the recommendations. They can do that cherry on top. But there's a lot of underneath that that the companies are missing. And that's where data engineering and, and operations come in is we need an operational excellence to this for the, for the operations team. We need somebody to maintain the system, to make sure that the data doesn't break, the pipeline doesn't break, that there's somebody whose job it is to make sure that we aren't just making sure things don't break, but that, that, that we're improving, our data quality is improving, for example. And then our data engineering team, they're bringing the software experience. And my definition of data engineer is a software engineer who specializes in data. And this is key because oftentimes companies will take their data warehouse team and say, you're a data engineer now, you can do all this big data stuff, and that just isn't the way it works. I don't care what a vendor tells you. My experience is very clear that you can give them a tool, and that tool can do this thing. But as soon as you get a millimeter outside of that thing, it goes down to zero. And that's the problem, is that you can, you can do your ETL. Good. ETL is a solvable problem. Go have some vendor do that ETL for you. But as soon as you start trying to drive value and create an engineered system, that's where they fall. So you need these software engineers who can create these systems, engineer it correctly, make sure that the pipeline does this, that they're applying software engineering principles, unit tests, for example, integration tests. So they, what they do is they bring in this missing part that's often missing in companies, especially Fortune 100, where they brought in these data scientists, but they didn't create the engineering background and didn't create the software engineering for this. And therefore there was no, no basis or there was no data products for them to use. So a common scenario here is companies, especially small companies, they start out, who am I going to hire? I'll hire a data scientist first. Data scientist starts their first day. Um, where's your data products? Don't have data products. We thought you were going to do that. No, 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 that's not me. That's a data engineer. So my suggestion, as you saw in the book, your first hire, in my opinion, should be a data engineer for that very reason. Then that's a lot of work that if we kind of think about and we break this down in terms of work and time, your machine learning is not the biggest amount of time sink. That's one of the smaller pieces. Your data engineering side is bigger piece. And so if you, if you start out with this, much smaller piece and say, okay, we have this person who could do the small piece. That's a problem. We need the people who can do the big piece so that we can then have the data scientists do that. Yeah. It makes total sense. I mean, I must admit, I haven't heard of your book until recently. I heard about it the first time on Monday morning data chat with, uh, hosted by Joe Rice and, uh, Matthews, they right you were on, and um, I was very intrigued by this uh, notion of uh, of data teams, several data teams, and I can definitely see the the interplay between these teams and the necessity of having them. I've experienced uh, it myself, uh, being in a context where you lacked uh, one or more of, say, the capabilities of of these uh, three teams, right. You write in your book that you can sense an underperforming data team. Uh, and I, I I guess it must take, I mean, I can I can definitely sense, I could sense as an enterprise architect and a, and a leader myself earlier in my career, I couldn't sense, sense the absence of this capability, but I would not be able to 
to sense uh, an underperforming team. How 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 can you do that? Uh, you can do that by talking to people. You can do that by talking to the business. And what's important there is in in agile. Think of uh, agile as a methodology, which you will. In sometimes in, in especially software engineering, people would get away from talking to people. Even though you were supposed to, they wouldn't talk with their end customer. And so what you would do is you start talking to the end customer and you say, well, tell me about this. And what you get is kind of this mirror images of the problem. They won't tell you what the problem is, but they'll give you this mirror of, oh, there's this happening. There's this happening. And then I have some pretty good ideas of what the problem or the root cause is, but I can get a pretty good laundry list of here's how the team's performing. Sometimes it's performing well. More often than not, there's underperformance. Uh, simply, and I, and I point that out for, for managers watching this or leads watching this, is there's almost always something you can do, and it's probably not technical. You might be thinking, oh, if we just put that graph database in, if we just put this link in. Yeah, that's one part, but there's more than likely an organizational or a another part where if you just tweak that, if you just figure out what that problem is, then you could actually, with some effort, improve that by 30%, 50%. But what you do is you talk to the people, you talk to the business. Not, not enough data teams talk to the business. What do you want? Uh, is this data product useful? Are you able to use it? And as depending on where you are, let's say you're a data engineer, one of your customers is the data science team. And one of your customers is the business. And if you aren't talking to them, then you're not getting a good view of what we're doing. So that underperformance, usually at its root cause, is a lack of communication, a lack of execution, but a lack of trying to identify what that is. It's not technology. It's not your airflow not working well. It's usually you're not talking, you're not communicating, and therefore you're not executing on the thing that the business wants. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. But it, 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 I can just imagine it taking a lot of experience to actually get to a state where you can identify this in detail. I was a little puzzled when I read that passage, at least. Okay, so getting uh, going deeper into um, into the notion of big data. There's no doubt that big data has traveled in terms of hype cycle quite far. Uh, I don't know when you began versing, no, using the the term big data. I guess I began using it uh, in the late late zeros or start of 2010s, something like that. I did a PhD uh, after I have actually worked in industry for some years, and I I taught it. I taught big data at the university, but I, I taught it using some sources that I think were highly marked by by this very early stage hype level as very, very enthusiastic uh, books explaining, okay, we can do everything with big data. It's going to solve like, just like we do talk about data mesh now, it's, gonna, it's going to, to, to solve all the problems uh, of humanity, right? Uh, but still, there was something very, very solid in, in big data. Um, I'm ranting a little bit here. But what I'm trying to get at is that where do you see the state of big data today? 
how do you see the how has big data evolved and where is it today? What does the future look like for big data? Big data has changed quite a bit, as you rightly point out. And it's changed in its maturity where the hype books aren't out. And when a marketer wants to hype something, they don't say we're big data. They say we're Gen AI now, which yeah. is nice yeah. in, in some ways. But at, at our at our core, we have this thing that's pretty mature, but we didn't have a lot of people with a lot of experience in it. Where somebody with 10 years of experience, that's amazing. That's wow. How did you start so early? That's pretty crazy. So most of our people have five years or less experience than us. And that, that's causing a problem. Uh, on one side of these people who really don't have an experience in big data, creating value with that, or frankly, with distributed systems or multi-threading. That's a whole problem unto itself. Of the people who were who are coming out of boot camps, even coming out of university sometimes, are just not ready to do this and don't realize that they need to do that. So that's that's one set of problems. The other bigger set of problems is in the industry itself. I, and I've written about this quite a bit, is that there's not enough value coming out relative to spend out of, out of data teams. Mm -hmm. Put a different way is, if we have 10 people, if we have 20 people, and we're, we're, we're just creating a pretty limited amount of value, Usually the amount of value I look for is a five to 10x ROI on data, which is possible, completely possible, completely doable because of we can save money, we can make more money, we can optimize, we can do various things. But usually teams are not really thinking along those lines. They're not thinking of, well, they're building a fiefdom, they're building this technology, we're doing this incredible thing with Spark, but my uh, push for people, especially management, especially leads, is think about what is the value you're creating, because the 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 economy is not as great as it used to be. It used to be, okay, well, if we just get a three x, that's fine. We're making money this other way. And now, when the accountants start coming and looking for where to cut, they're going to see this this team. Oh, okay, we're going to have to cut that team. We're going to take it down to whatever. And what we need to be able to do as data professionals is say, okay, if you cut that, we're going to be making or uh, saving three million less because this cannot be done or this that. So we make we will paint a clear picture of, hey, if you do this, we will we will actually lose money overall. But if you have never done that, if the team has never done that, and you say, oh, we'll lose this, and they'll say, well, thank you very much. You've never done anything before. That's a whole problem unto itself. So it's really, really key that as we look at this progression, or maybe take this as a retrospective if you're watching this, take this as a time to retrospect and say, what amount of value do you create? Are you actually doing something for the business that's unique, that's interesting, that's doing something for the for the money, for the for the company? Otherwise, you are at a high risk. You have very, very specific risk there. And you don't want to be in that place. And it's time to start changing that right now. Yeah. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it, it's one of the many, many reasons why data is so complicated, why it's, we can't calculate the ROI correctly in many cases. I think I used to, so I, my personal 
my personal uh, hype cycle around the big data was that like 10 years ago, I was very hyped about uh, big data. And I definitely continued doing that, being so for, uh, and I definitely continued being that for, for a couple of years. I think 2020, where you published your book, Data Teams, is a very special year in the sense that you look back at a decade where big data uh, promised a lot of change, a lot of possibilities. I think it was around that time where I began thinking big data isn't it isn't it dead i mean isn't it isn't it over and then i think like half a year ago or maybe a, a year ago i i encountered the term data observability i i read about data observability and then i thought but this all all of this it's the methodology of of big data it's the same thing you 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 survey a big very very big amount of uh, data uh, using various technologies, uh, of course, you can develop new applications, new offerings, but basically the methodology is the same, right? Uh, and so, so I thought, okay, so maybe big data isn't that. And 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 then later on, I got the impression that I heard some 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 podcasts and I read some papers, and I think maybe maybe big data never died maybe we just never understood how difficult it was um and how few industries are actually capable of performing it so in 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 the essence of trying to ask an open question here jesse to, to what extent do you think that is correct do you do you think that industries at large understand what big data is what it takes i i think that we industry has a problem in general with with trends where we we can see this um, we can see this in data and i would say a parallel is microservices so we have this kind of novice approach of everything should be microservices everything should be data everything should be big data and the reality is not everything should be a microservice and not everything is big data and it may be I term coined the term medium data. I think that's where most companies are. Yeah. But the issue is that there's a chasm. Once you hit go from small data to what to medium or to, to big, uh, there's no medium data tools. You basically have to go directly to big data. So there's a pretty significant function there or st increasing complexity. I wrote a, a post for O'Reilly saying. That increase in complexity is a 10 to 15x complexity increase. And so one of the issues that companies had is that they would think, oh, it's just a, a little bit of increase in complexity. Or I talked to that vendor and the vendor told me, hey, this is easy. Don't worry about it. Uh, your existing team can just, we'll give them a few pointers and they can do this. The reality is no, that as soon as you get into distribution, multi-threading, multi-processing, this is a whole whole new world. So you had leaders coming in with this expectation provided by the vendors, and then the teams over here and their ability to execute. But to your directly to your question about big data being dead, the issue is no matter whether you say it's data, small data, if you have something that's too big for that system, you need a different system. You need a distributed system. All that big data, distributed system, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't die 
It may get a different name, but you have to use these tools once you get to this level. And the people using those tools aren't necessarily the ones that were doing it before. Uh, this is often a, a source of confusion for managers and execs. Is your people who do small data may be able to do big data, but your people who do big data can do small data. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I coined a term that you saw in the book, ability gap. And the ability gap is something that it, it's, it's harsh, frankly, not going to lie, but it was something that companies would never buy into or really appreciate because when I tell them, hey, that team member or your entire team is not going to be able to do this. This isn't a matter of time. This isn't a matter of technology. This is an ability gap. They will not do this on their best day. And so you're going to have to figure out a way to use them in a way that they can do it, but you're more than likely going to have to hire, you're going to have to do something else. And that's a really important distinction that teams, especially executives, uh, needed to understand, but would never really want to make that because it, it, it didn't go with what they were told by the vendors. So we, in many ways, that hype cycle created by the vendors, by the marketing of ease and just use our technology, it's caused many of our problems. And as, as you reflect back through the history of big data, our problems were often just outsized goals or outsized expectations that the team could never have met. Yeah, exactly. That's the harsh reality of it, right? I think I think there's another dimension also, Jesse. Uh, as I reflect back, being an academic that that was uh, thrown back into industry after doing a, a PhD, uh, I I I remember reading and teaching and writing about big data uh, as something that was full of optimism that we could do this and we could do that and it would be fun and it would be exciting. And first and foremost, it would be possible. And I think a large degree, to a large degree, we all uh, neglected that for many companies, for most companies, this is close to impossible. It's so difficult. It's so technical and challenging that it's simply out of reach. But have you, have you ever recommend, to what extent do you recommend people not using a big data approach? So that, that's, a, that's an important question. When, when a company comes in and they say, do we want to do this? That's an important first step because that first step is, is data part of your core competency? Or if you don't have data, is software engineering a core competency? Because there are some businesses that they've either outsourced directly or they've outsourced by buying that software. So that entire company, sometimes they'll tell me they have a 50-person IT staff. Well, that IT staff is doing help desk sort of things. They're operating pre-programmed software. And so they think that that translates into creating software. And the reality is not, is, is not that. They have an IT organization that is used to using other people's software to solve problems. That's a very different sort of skill set then we are now going to create our our own so those people i would say find a consultancy find somebody to help you this is not your core competency yeah there's probably value in this 
And there's probably things you can do and save money and make money and whatever. But if it's not in your core competency, hire a consultancy. Be careful of that con- with that consultancy. But be, and I talk about that in the book. Then we move over to the other side of, yes, there are companies where software is a core competency. They can do it. However, uh, should they do it? Will you have big data? Do you have big data now? Do you have big data in the future? Those are pretty key questions. Usually those are questions that you ask of a, of a soft, um, a startup, for example, smaller sort of business, because you to, to what we were talking about before, if you have a, if you have a business that hits big data, doesn't matter whether they call it big data, whatever. If you start hitting those scales, you have to use the software. So whether you're a startup or whatever, if you start hitting that hockey stick, you will need that. And so you have to make a, a, an initial distinction of, do I go after the, the software that can scale or do I keep using a small, small scale software that I know that I'll eventually have to rewrite? And that rewrite can actually be pretty difficult. It can be pretty uh, painful because there, nobody realized, oh, at some point, we're basically going to have to cut bait on this and completely rewrite. And oh, by the way, while you rewrite, you're going to have to maintain that other software. Oh, and if we hit that hockey stick, we're going to have to turn away customers. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole problem. So the, the issue there that I try to talk about in the book is it's a, you will hit, you will hit this if you do have scale and you will eventually have to pay the piper. There's just no bones about it. You will hit the pipe. You will have to pay the piper on this. And you'll have to figure out a way to deal with it. Yeah, that is uh, undisputably <laughs> uh, the case, and 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 I can definitely understand you wanting to write this book. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful read, and uh, and I I see it even if we should uh, agree on the term small small data for for all other kinds of data management activities. I see the neglect of an organizational dimension or discussion in data as something that is present all over the data community. Every organization neglects the organizational aspect of data. I guess that for big data, that becomes even more catastrophic to to neglect this. So anyway, that was my uh, concluding rant. But thank you, thank you, Jesse, very much for for joining us uh, here today on the on the Data Democracy. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.